This podcast is supported by Audible. To find out how you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible, check out audibletrial.com slash lead. This is George Bratt, and you are listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Well, my name is George Bratt, and I spend my life trying to contribute to individuals, knowledge, and joy. Within that, what's probably most relevant to your listeners would be the contributions that I and my co-authors and partners make to leaders going into new positions by helping them accelerate their transitions. And we do that first through the work we do with new leaders, through the articles we write, and through our books. The uh, the new book is called First Time Leader, and I want to dig into it in a little bit. But the, the, I guess the first question I have for you is, this is, to me, one of the, uh, I think, bigger chasms to cross for someone developing their career, jumping into that first-time leadership position. But yet I, I feel like it's a, it's not given as much weight in organizations as it probably should be. You know, we just think a person was a great individual contributor, let's promote them, boom, all of a sudden they're in a leadership position, or even just they stepped up and volunteered in their sort of an unofficial titleless position uh, in a project that's the first time they've ever done that before. What is it that makes this process of jumping from individual contributor to first-time leader so uh, difficult? Well, actually, you put your finger on it. it. It is a chasm, and people tend to think it's a nice evolution or a small step, but it's really hugely different, and and it's different, um, I guess, in two ways, and then I'll add a third thought. So the first way is uh, leading, well, managing is different than doing, to start with. So, so I mean, you know this. People are doers and they're doing things, and then all of a sudden they're managing, and they think that what they should do is just organize and coordinate and tell people to do what they used to do. And, of course, that only gets you so far. Leading is a whole different game because, again, as, as you know and most of your listeners know, leading is really about inspiring and enabling and co-creating. And people don't get that. They, they think I'm just going to do more or I'm going to have other people do what I tell them to do. And if you tell people to do things, the most you can ever hope for is compliance. If you're really good at telling somebody to do something, they will do what you tell them to do, but they won't do any more. If you want to inspire and enable them, then you can get them to do more. So idea one is, Leading is different than managing is different than doing. And the second thing that's closely related to this, and this is where my passion lies, is that this transition, as you said, this jumping, this chasm, this onboarding, if, if we can use a word, it's a crucible of leadership for all involved. And if the person making the transition does it well with the help of his or her leaders and peers and whatever, then it accelerates everything, their career and all the good things that are going on around them. And when they screw it up, which unfortunately a lot do, there's a lot of pain to go around. So 
that's why I've focused on this because the upside's so huge. Yeah, I think that's a the great point. And also, you know, last podcast we were talking to William Cohen, and he actually mentioned that a lot of times this is something he's a he was studied under Peter Drucker. He said that Drucker was always big on the idea that it, it takes a whole effort. The decision to promote somebody is a collaborative effort, and therefore the person who promoted that person should also be responsible for the success or failure. I think too often we say, okay, great, you're, here's your, your new role, you're a new leader, and if you flame out, it's just your fault. It's not sort of all of our faults because we didn't prepare you enough or we chose the wrong person, et cetera. And I think that's a really um, important thing for people to understand is just how collaborative it has to be because it's, it's a rising tide that should raise or lower all boats and not just that one of the new person. Well, you, I mean, you know you're right on that. I mean, you know, Cohen's right, you know, Drucker's right, you know you're right. I find that often if, if I'm in line with what Drucker said, I t- I'm right. So that works really well. Just stay in line with him and I'm always right. It's certainly not a bad starting point. The, uh, you know, what we found is, and what a lot of people have found is, when people fail in a new leadership role, it's generally for one of three reasons. It's either a poor fit, particularly if somebody was hired from the outside or they don't deliver or they fail to adjust to a change down the road. And here's the piece back to your point is whoever you talk to blames the other person. If you talk to the leader's boss, it's, you know, she was just a bad fit or he didn't get done what we needed him to get done or she couldn't adjust to the change or things changed. If you talk to the leader. The leader will say, you know, they weren't who they pretended to be, or they didn't give me the resources and support I needed to deliver, or things changed. So who's at fault? To your point, everybody's at fault. Yeah, I, I think it's such a an overlooked I, I think this transition overall is not taken seriously enough. And this is one of those areas that is overlooked and it's oh, they just weren't a right fit. Okay, well what about their qualities made you think they were a good fit and in essence fooled you. And, and what did you learn from this experience instead of just writing them off as it's not a, a good fit? And then on the flip side, if they are a good fit, can we take a second and reflect on what made them a good fit? What things did we do to make sure they were onboarded properly? They responded to change properly. What did all of us do? Not just that one person. It's as much as we love the sort of soaring lone eagle motivational posters about leadership. It's really a team effort at, at every level. Oh, completely. Completely agree. Yeah. So let's talk about, we talked about the reasons that uh, new leaders fail, but l- let's talk about, let's look at day one and, and brand new into leadership. What are some of the first things we should be nailing down from day one should be focusing on? Yeah, you're not going to like this, but day one's too late. <laughs> That's a great point. Okay. Maybe day zero. How's day zero? Well, the, uh, we really have three ideas. We've built, uh, a whole business on three ideas. Um, Over the last 10 years, we have reduced the rate of new leader failure from 40%. So four out of 10 people fail in the first 18 months. We reduced it from 40% to below 10% with three ideas. And the ideas are one, get a head start. Two, manage your message. And three, build your team. And, And as you know, I have now written five books on the subject, so I could go into excruciating depth. But, but if I give you just a couple of headlines and a couple of ideas and we'll let you guide the conversation where you want to go to, that's probably 
more interesting. In terms of getting a head start, back to the point I just made, if you wait to day one, you're on the back foot and, and you've missed some opportunities. There is this, we fundamentally believe that onboarding, which is the word we, we choose to describe this, this concept of somebody going into a new job, uh, starts before the first contact with the company. And it starts with the, the new person, the new leader, whoever it is, really stopping and thinking and figuring out who they are, what, uh, what's important to them, and how do they want to position themselves. The company should, the, or the, particularly the leader's boss, should be getting everyone aligned around what this new person's going to do before anybody talks to anybody. And then between the first contact and the offer, the candidate or the new leader is selling. Their job is to get the job, but in a way that will make people want to work with him or her. And then there's magic time between the offer and day one or day zero, whatever you want to call it. That time is a chance for the new leader to uh, get ahead of the curve, get a head start on having a plan, on getting themselves set up personally, both in their personal life and in their office, on jump-starting their learning, and perhaps most important, jump-starting their relationships. Because early on, both the fit issue and the delivery issue, early on, they all it all comes down to relationships. And the, and the core idea here is no one will follow anyone until they've earned the right to lead. And if they show up day one and say, hi, I'm here. Aren't I fantastic? Let me tell you, let me tell you about me. Let me give you the playbook to me. And let me tell you my vision. And let me tell you uh, what I think the priorities are. And let me tell you how to work with me. Everybody hates this person. Because all they want to talk about is themselves. Whereas if they start before day one and they meet people and in those meetings they have such high-powered and, you know, amazingly insightful questions as, hi, who are you and what do you do? What a nice way to start a conversation. <laughs> it's, it's worked pretty well thus far. That's awesome. <laughs> so if it works for you with people you don't know, wouldn't it work for new leaders as they're getting to know people before day one. So before day one, let's get a head start. I went way beyond the headline. Um, on day one, the new leader is going to get positioned. And either the new leader can have a make a choice about how he or she wants to be perceived and then do things and say things that will drive towards that message or they can let others position them, in which case they've lost control. So waiting till day one is too late. So day one, what do they do day one? Which, what a long answer to your question. What do, they, what do they do on day one is get a head start and be clear on their message. And on day one, specifically, they should be communicating their message more with what they do than with what they say. If, if somebody was coming in and saying, listen, we need to really change this organization to be more customer-focused, well, shame on them if on day one they spend the whole time in the office and do not get out of the office and go talk to a customer. 
No, I, I think it's a, a huge distinction on on uh, the the power of sort of what you do versus what you say. And I think every one of us, if, if you've worked in an organization for longer than six months, you have a horror story of a leader in that organization who probably hasn't done that. But I but I also really resonated with one thing that you said about about listening to people and figuring out what they want, where, what they are, who they are, and what do they want to do, but also kind of what their vision is. And it, it got I remember there's a big debate I have usually within the first or second week of the leadership classes I teach in university about there seems to be this faulty notion at least until they come to me and i hope to correct it of it's all about casting your vision it's all about who are you where are you going to take us all that sort of stuff and i don't think that's true i think when we look at the most impactful leaders both in organizations and society and governance i think most of them find a way to listen intuitively and figure out what is that vision everybody has that is either unsaid or unheard and let's bring that to light and bring that to bear instead of i have a new vision for how the world is going to work more of where do where do we going to where are we going to go? And I'm going to find a way to put that vision into here's how we need to get there almost. I feel like that's a much more effective route to take. And I think that's where some leaders I've seen that are most effective start out with things like listening tours, things like starting before, like as you said, before their position, before on day one, figuring out where does everybody fit in the organization, but also where do they want the organization to go in the future? Because I think you can have a lot more resonance on vision if it's at least in line with where the people that you're about to lead also want to go. So uh, you may not like this, and this may be where you hang up on me. I think you're going in the right direction, but you didn't get far enough. It is absolutely not about the leader. Because if the leader tries to tell people what she wants, people reject it. It's also not about the team. And it's not about the individuals on the team. The best leaders, and, and, and we've all seen this, for the best leaders, the best leaders focus on the cause. What are we in business to do? Who are we trying to help? What problem are we trying to solve? And if you keep people focused, so my, my definition of leadership is that it's about inspiring and enabling others to do their absolute best together to realize a meaningful and rewarding shared purpose. That purpose is the cause. And if you get everyone focused on, so one of the best examples, I'm going to blank on his name, but the new head of um, um, MD Anderson in, in Houston, big cancer hospital, big cancer uh, university, eight, I don't know, 18,000 people. It's just an amazing place. And he walked in and he said, listen, guys, here's the deal. If we don't, during my tenure, I'm going to be here, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years, but in my tenure, if we don't eradicate cancer, we will have failed. Now, that's a cause. You know, when everybody's focused on that, the argument is people are going to argue a little bit less about whether I'm a VP or a senior VP or whether my office is here or there. Excuse me, guys. We're out trying to cure cancer, eradicate cancer. You get people focused on the cause, and a lot of the little problems go away. I think too, you know, my mind immediately went to in a, in a business context, if you can set a cause that's that motivating, you probably don't have to worry about using lingo about maximizing shareholder value anymore. Uh, because people, people tend to work towards causes more than they do maximized value. Exactly. 
Yeah. So I, I love the model of, of three three things to focus in on. There's another model in the book I think is really interesting that's in line with those three things, but it's this acronym BRAVE. And it really resonated with me because I like um, I like simple. As, as you know from, from listening and as our listeners know, I love to geek out on research, but I also love to take research and make it simple into here are the things you need to do. And I love that that BRAVE acronym for figuring out what to do, how to, how to get myself oriented in an organization. Tell me a bit about this BRAVE concept and where it came from and also how to how to implement it how leaders can be brave as it were so lots of questions buried in one question let, let me let me let me pull them apart and uh um here's the way i want to do it let me give you first let me tell you what it is so brave is an acronym for behaviors relationships attitudes values and the environment and it actually came out of our previous book we were we were trying we were dealing with the fit issue and we were dealing. Our previous book was called "The New Leaders' Hundred Day Action Plan," and we were dealing with the fit issue. And we were trying to figure out how to. How, what does fit mean? It was just kind of all over the place. It was this amorphous thing, and we realized that it was essentially the alignment of an individual's preferences with uh, with the group's preferences. Call it culture. And we said, all right. Some people are saying, well, culture is just kind of the way we do things here. Well, that's not really good enough. And other people were doing these really sophisticated analyses of culture, which is fantastic for the people that want to geek out on the research, but for normal human beings, it doesn't quite work. So we said we need a simplifying, a way to simplify it. And we said, okay, brave. Behaviors, relationships, attitudes, values, and the environment. Somebody going in to look at a new organization can look at the environment, they can read the values on the wall and see what people are really doing. They can look at the attitudes of the people there. They can look at the way people relate, and they can look at the way they behave and get a read on the culture, and then they can figure out whether it matches what they want. So park that. Then for First Time Leader, our new book, I said, as I've been working with this over the last two or three years, I realized that um, – Culture is really the only sustainable competitive advantage for an organization, and leaders lead culture, and therefore brave must also be what's critical to leaders. And so we then flipped it and said, as you're looking at a new leadership role, as you're working through a new leadership role, let's take these brave components and start outside in. So it ends up being five questions. The environmental question is where to play, where are we going to focus? And I got stories and I can tell you about that, but think of context. So whatever you want to do, you've got to figure out the context. Secondly, values is all about what matters. Okay, now I know where we're going to play. What really matters? What are we really trying to do? What's the mission, the vision, and what are the underlying principles that we will not walk away from on the way to getting there? And I've got stories about that. Attitude is the question, how to win? Okay, I know where I'm going to play. I know what really matters. Great. But, and I know what really matters and why. And now, how are we going to win? That's the strategy. That's the posture. That's the culture. All those are set up to the heart of leadership, which is relationships. Because in the end, leadership is really all about connecting with other people. I, I don't, you know... Email's great, writing's great, but in the end, if you really want to inspire and enable somebody, it comes down to uh, very personal 
a very personal connection. So relationships are about how to connect. And all of it is theoretical gibberish unless somebody does something. And it's not just doing something. This is not about activity for the sake of activity. This is action for the sake of impact. So the fifth area of behavior really comes down to what impact are we going to have on other people in pursuit of our cause. So where play, where to play, what matters and why, how to win, how to connect, and what impact. And that's brave in two minutes. And again, I can go on forever. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and, and five books and all of them are great. And, and the book uses that brave acronym to, to structure some of it. So if you if there's anything that resonated listener-wise, um, check out the book, obviously. I, I don't guess I invited you on, so I don't need to plug the book too much. It's already an endorsement. But check it out because it's got some amazing stories, amazing tips for how to use that brave acronym. What I really like about it is – what you just said about the different questions, where to play, what matters, how to win, etc. I love that they sort of take the traditional notion of strategic planning for the organization and then also balance that with culture and what the organization can do with the people it has and relationships and that, and that sort of thing. I think it's a wonderful way to sort of balance both taking care of your people and also being incredibly focused on that on that purpose. I feel like a lot of leadership literature strays way towards one, as I was almost guilty of doing in that explanation earlier, or straying, uh, straying way towards one as in relationships or straying way towards the other as far as just it's about strategy and execution and people are, are expendable, etc. And I love the balance that I saw, at least when I read it. I, I hope you were intending to show that balance because I got it out of that, which is great. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, I completely agree. It's a, you know, the, the trade-off of, of people versus performance, it's a false trade-off. You, you can't get anything done without your people. Leadership. Hello. That means, you know, you do, one way to define leader is by who's following them. And if all you do is focus on the people and don't try to take them anywhere, well, that's a cocktail party. <laughs> it's, it's not a company. That's a cocktail party. That's exactly. awesome. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, um, for, for that balance, I, again, I want to encourage readers to or listeners to check out and, and read the book. But if it's OK, George, I want to I want to shift a bit from the book to you right now and ask you a couple questions. The first being, what are you reading right now? So I just finished The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Have you read it, Joseph Kemp? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's stunning in that, uh, you know, the takeaway from it is there's only one story. And, and we're all playing with bits and pieces of it and, and adapting in different ways. But there is only one story. The story comes out in a thousand faces around the world across time. And if it really helps frame communication. So I love that. Um, and then I'm also currently reading uh, Thinking Fast and, and Thinking Small, which is um, thinking, thinking slow, thinking fast and thinking slow. I'm not, you know, I haven't gotten past the first page. <laughs> still still, thinking, still thinking fast. I'm still in the section on fast. No, I, and I should say The Hero of a Thousand Faces is a surprisingly – good leadership book. I, I encountered it when I was doing my book on creativity, mostly from this idea that all of the great movies we love, all of the books we resonate with, etc., 
are really sort of replays of that monomyth, the one story that's what resonates with all of us. But I think there's also lessons from that in, okay, if this is the story that resonates with people, this is the story we need to tie our cause to, et cetera, because this is how we'll get it kind of adopted. And I, I haven't jumped in to that yet because it's, you know, we're about leadership, innovation, and strategy. Right now, me personally, I'm all into the innovation one. But I feel like whether I go to leadership, innovation, or strategy, Joseph Campbell will be there for some reason. Maybe he's just written a really good one story. There you go. <laughs> so now this is the uh, this is the fifth book targeted at first time leaders. It's packed with information. There's also some really cool to go back in your work. Some really cool timelines. I love the idea of the the um, the hundred day action plan idea. I mean, I, I'm reminded every four or eight years, depending on the importance of that sort of first hundred days, etc. But I also want to know, can what's what's ahead for you and your team? What are you working on now? So five things. Uh, one, we have a, really a bunch of exciting clients and engagements around the world. Excited, excited about that. Clearly, we have the launch of the First Time Leader book. And then three, depending upon the timing, uh, one of my musicals is supposed to go into full production in May. So I'm excited about that. And then this year, I'll be writing my next books. One of them is going to be called The Entrepreneur's, the Entrepreneur's 100 Day Action Plan. And the other is I'm taking one of my musicals and turning it into a novel. So okay, we can't leave this alone. Uh, I know that we're we're focused in on leadership, and you've written amazing works on leadership, but you've also written a musical. Actually, I've written four. Four, and one is in production, and one is being. Turned. Tell us a bit about that. So the one that's uh, going into production is called "The Man with the Glass Heart," and it's a story of a man trying to pass his gifts on to his son. The gift of education, the gift of uh, his experience, and then the gift of himself. And the son keeps rejecting these gifts, and the father says, okay, he can, son can make his choice, son can make his choice, and then finally the father says, no, I've got to intervene bigger, and the son finally gets it. That's a two-hour musical in 30 seconds. Hmm. That two-hour musical in thirty seconds. No, that's a that's a uh, I think a very cool story. And I you know so my I have a son as a lot of listeners know I have a two-year-old son and so one that resonates with with me. I'm not at the stage of trying to get in, intervened yet, but I am in that stage of sitting down, kind of uh, ironically in a weird circle, kind of like what you should be doing before you step into that first-time leadership role, kind of sitting down and going, okay, what are the things? What are the values? What are the ethics? What are the behaviors that I really want to make sure get caught? By him, something that's useful for first-time parents, but it seems like probably pretty useful for first-time leaders. How do I want to interact with this new organization? Who am I, and what's my role going to be? Probably good, good points of reflection, uh, both. And so, in that realm, there is my connection to tie it into the musical. So when it comes out, expect to hear something through the Leader Lab Twitter feed and on the blog uh, about it, because there's there's no reason why why not to promote it. It seems like it's going to be pretty awesome. Why not? Thank you. <laughs> well, well, fantastic. Well, on that note, our listeners have a lot of reading to do because especially if they're moving into that first-time leader role, there's a lot of works that George and his team um, have written. And then even if you just need a little bit of a break, you're, maybe the whole New Year's, New You craze has, has sort of recede and need some entertainment, check out some of his musicals and future novel coming out. I think that's absolutely amazing. But that said, that's a lot of reading for our listeners to, to engage in. So, George, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. My pleasure. 